Yeah, I did. I do the whole. the The big new thing is that, and like I work out, I go to the gym, but well, you're way the, better than me. Well, no, but the time that I pull my muscles the worst is just when I get out of bed wrong, <laughs> like dead serious, like or or like I'll like reach for something quickly and like something in my back just pulls and it'll be bad for three days. Yeah, man. I had a, um, I actually had, I was in a wreck, like a, not a, not a, you know, just a fender bender. And um, I ended up breaking my lower spine. Ooh. Yeah. And uh, I spent about, four and a half almost five years with just like a broken back like a a a vertebra or a few vertebra or like it was uh it was a vertebra i mean i'm I'm not medical so forgive me but um it was enough to make me miserable Uh, i was miserable my legs were numb and like if i had any feeling it was like an ice cold feeling my back hurt all the time it was uh man it was a trial for sure. I, and just having like kids and then pulling on you all the time. I was just, uh, I became like a, just kind of a curmudgeon. Yeah. A miserable no. person to be around. So, uh, but I had surgery in September to repair it because my vertebrae was actually like cracked. Like the piece that holds your vertebrae together in between uh-huh. was actually broken. So my, my whole thing had like shifted and I was pinching nerves and squashing disc and, um, I just kept thinking, man, I'm going to, I'm going to just like strengthen my core. I'm going to, I'm not going to have this crazy surgery where they screw me all back together and all this stuff. And I, I finally was like, I have to do this. I'm, I'm losing my mind. So, and what, how are the results? I'm good. I'm good. I mean, I was really terrified to have the surgery. Um, what but- was the, what was the fear that like, that some, like, did you listen to Dr. Death? that podcast well i waited till after because like, thank like, god my wife <laughs> you, you friends, never would have got yeah, it. yeah my wife and friends were like don't don't watch it if you're already worried don't watch it <laughs> so but it, yeah one of the i had to have a vascular surgeon because there was like there's like so many they had to go through the front and the back Ooh. so I, I basically had a c-section and uh, I have like this, I had a big eight inch cut in my front, big eight inch cut in my back. And they like screwed me all back together and all that stuff. And the uh, right before the surgery, the vascular surgeon was like, hey, uh, just a just a warning. Like you might want to, you know, if you have to come back to see us for any reason, like you might have issues ejaculating. Oh, no. Anything but that. That's what I was like, I was like, I will have a broken back the rest of my life. Do not take this one thing from me. <laughs> so did that, that was, did that happen? No, no. Oh, thank no. God. I'm good. I think he was halfway playing with me and halfway like, eh, you know. Yeah, I'm going to hedge my bets. Yeah, like 1% of patients might have issues. Um, oh, man. Yeah, that's terrifying. <laughs> yeah. that. But that is what I, that is what I think. Uh, I have immense sympathy and empathy every time I pull my back like that. Because I'm like, dude, if I had chronic back pain like this i couldn't i just couldn't there's no way like it it affect it's the same as having like whenever you have tooth pain I, you can't think about anything else yeah well anywhere i think uh you ever see uh i think it was travis barker mm-hmm. 
You see how you had that plane crash? Mm-hmm. Like, that was in my hometown, Columbia, South Carolina. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, it always, I always think about him because uh, he had – apparently there's this whole group of people that suffer from nerve pain, chronic nerve pain, mm-hmm. and the suicide rate is, like, insane because they just can't – they can't handle it. Like, it, it it's such – and, and your two thing is, like, that makes me think, you know, there's a lot of nerves in your mouth. And when you oh, have yeah? that – it's not a pain that you can't live with, but it's something that just every day that aching, gnawing pain at you is just, I can see how it could be too much to handle. And mine was a lot of nerve, uh, some muscular, but a lot of nerve pain. And that is it, just miserable. Yeah, there's a there's a specific type of migraine called suicide headaches, I think it's called, or suicide migraines. And it's basically that is why it is named that way because it's like supposed to be just so debilitating did you were you able to not uh like go on the pain management route and have to take a bunch of pills well i'm actually uh i'm I'm really i grew up my mom was a a nurse and she dealt with a lot of people that had addiction and so she was very when i grew up it was homeopathic or nothing and so good for her so she was really cautious about like how much Tylenol you're taking for something, you know, uh, she was very much like a suck it up kind of mom. Wow. But, yeah. So, uh, so I was, I was, I'm always really cautious about that. Like I had neurotin and I had like some mm-hmm. other colors and stuff that was supposed to help with the nerve pain, but I've literally had it drilled in my head my whole life. And I've, I'm just really afraid of what, like, I don't, I don't have any addiction that runs in my family that I'm really aware of other than maybe like some alcoholism but i don't know that it like at what degree and um so but i was just really concerned about that so i, I honestly didn't take it i was just i had that mentality that i know that's with, smart like, suck it up and just be a man get up go to work you know blah 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 uh, not that anyone should do that i'm not i'm not saying people should do that route but well but you know on the on on the same hand serious um serious chronic pain like that i mean that was the whole that was the whole deal with the oxycontin thing was that uh i mean you can argue whether or not there was addictive potential there but you know if you know addictive potential whatsoever took you know high strength opioid painkillers for six months you're gonna be physically dependent so it's it's like it it's a yeah, it's, good it's job. Good job avoiding it. Is what yeah. I'm saying. Well, I'm not bragging in any way. I just that was my. It's just my explanation as to how I was able to avoid it. But I, I think that, um, you know, like you said, it's it's something that you're going to wrestle with. It's not like some people get addicted, some people don't. It's like if you take it, especially. It's crazy to me how the how the doctors just supply it man like they i would go back and they'd be like hey you got a painkillers you want more you want any more and i'm like no i'm good <laughs> where see unless you actually want them then the doctors just try well, to yeah, get maybe, ibuprofen never... <laughs> that's the that's the that's the great or that's the great irony of uh like every addict listening is like where the hell were those doctors man no it's it i i've i have come across some uh i've come across both yeah the ones that are it's funny once once i got sober that's when like every urgent care doctor is trying to give me like 
codeine cough syrup and stuff and i'm like oh now now you want to try to give it to me thanks a lot (laughs) um before i get too far into it so this is jesse sampson um you and what's the uh the podcast the grace life fellowship podcast yeah so i have a podcast it's called conversations in grace and conversations in grace we actually, I have to, there's a disclaimer. Uh, when COVID hit, it became very hard for us to keep going. And uh, so it it took a, it's, it's been on hiatus for like two years. So all the episodes that are there, they're great. Uh, but all the episodes that are there kind of like, they're older, um, but still valuable. And we also have about four or five now in the bank. We're going to start it back up, but we're just kind of, we're also busy. Like everyone I'm doing it with is, has another job or two like me and it's uh we're just busy man so we're trying to get it started back up but uh it is it is good it's tough man yeah i mean i've been doing this for four years now four or five years which is crazy uh i mean yeah this will be episode 236 and it's like i used to do it religiously every week and then it was like i can't i can't do that anymore i just don't have the time i mean it is like a whole nother job and ironically during covid uh and it's funny like i can go back and look at the the metrics and like as soon as the lockdown started the listens i mean i'm talking like 70 percent drop in listens because i guess nobody was driving to work nobody was going to work so no one was really listening as much in disc golf man exactly dude that's exactly (laughs) what i was doing apparently this sport has like taken it's it's come back you know i feel like i did it when i was like in college and now it's 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 full on man it's full on so well that was that was literally the like what got us through covid because nobody was at the park so we always had and in lafayette there's there's like four or five courses and so every Sunday we just, you know, we got outside and then there was nobody around. It was great. Right. It was awesome. Right. Um, so I was trying to remember how exactly we, we met. I'll tell you my version and you can tell me yours. So I, so I, I was in rehab at St. Christopher's in Baton Rouge and I was working at Smoothie King and shout out smoothie king on lsu campus and i remember it i was playing some like i brought my own cds to play in the store i can't remember what i was playing maybe emory or something and uh this guy walks in he's like oh that's cool da 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 we start talking and that was chris lott oh and yes so that was i'm pretty sure that was how that was my end to that group but i can't remember the first time we met it may have been like through larry and angel and them because i remember that's when i moved in with larry and then we started going to grace life but i know like i think i also went to a planning fallacy show because you were you were dating marcy back then right yeah yeah (laughs) dude what was that 16 years ago Mm. That was maybe 2004, Six. five. It, I, it, I moved there in 05. It's a blur. So, it's yeah, a blur. it would have been like five, six, seven. Okay. Yeah, you probably know All better right. than I. Uh, 
yeah i that's that's funny that you met chris first i feel like i'm i feel like i knew you from larry that like that track i think jed i think larry yep and man you know i don't like i i miss that dude so much He's, i had him on here like did you yeah uh like recently um and then yeah and i got to see him maybe i say recently within the last three months uh, and then I went up to Baton Rouge to see a movie and he came and met me out there and we kind of caught up a little. Yeah. I, that's like the greatest human that's ever lived. Right. He, he really is like, he's when I see him and just even to see him with his kids, like I feel inferior. I know. Around. <laughs> so shout out to Larry. Love you, man. Larry heard the greatest I hit man him up ever. On, uh, I hit him up on Facebook, like maybe a year or two ago uh, just to see what he was doing but I don't remember what we talked about, but yeah, I mean, he, he, he played in the, on the worship team at Grace Life for a minute with me and uh, he's just great, man. Just all he around. Is. He is. So let's see, where do I want to start with this? Well, for starters, I remember. So I would say that that group of people, um, was very influential in like my adult faith uh, quest. And especially as good examples of like what actual uh, Christians were. So I grew up in um, small town, Southern uh, PCA Presbyterian churches of America. Um, That was the denomination I grew up in. It was, I grew up pretty, I don't, not fundamentalist, but I personally, I guess it's because um, I'm an anxious person. I'm a worrier. And so I latched on to like legalism. Yeah. Have you ever heard of uh, religious group scrupulosity as an OCD symptom? Yeah. I have a friend that suffers severely from it. Yeah. I, I, I guess I do still to a minor degree, but I mean, I, I, I've been baptized five or six, five times. Maybe I would say the sinner's prayer almost every night. I was always asking my mom, how do I know I'm saved? Am I saved? Um, seriously concerned with, uh, if I do good, God's going to bless me. If I do bad, God's going to curse me. Uh, if I, if something bad happens, it's because, um, man, saying it out loud, like a super pagan kind of way of looking at God of just like, Oh, I got to appease him and not thinking he loves me and I have to earn this love. Um, so then, you know, meeting that group of people and they were just, you know, they were cool. They were, they, walked what they talked about they were super loving they were super inclusive they were you know kind of the uh shane claiborne like radical um like me without you like you know kind of modern christian hippies right they're cool christians they listen to good music they have good taste in art and they love jesus and that's absolutely that's what turned me on to because i wasn't a christian until i was 21 or 22 really yeah, but like the art and the uh, the art and the music and just that influence that of like what is this? Because I grew up I grew up Catholic, um, so I had like a foundation, but uh, it was a lot of it was nothing that I wanted to be a part of after I turned of age, you know. 
Did you? So what did you? What Sorry, I didn't. Did, want, I didn't want to divert from you. I was just. No, 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 no. That that was that was kind of the end of it. And then I guess because everyone, uh, it was more for your sake. Most people have heard this from me already, but it's. Um, and then when I got sober in 2014, that's when I I got more serious about my faith, and finally, um, I guess that's when I got into. I think the first thing to go was like, oh, people probably don't burn in hell for all eternity. Um, being gay might not be the worst thing in the world. Uh, you know, just all the the things that I used to like assume as fact and like kind of, oh, maybe Genesis um, is a different genre. You know, the, these sort of things, basically just actually reading things for myself and then um, listening to different podcasts and preachers and that was the deconstruction and then began reconstructing and that that's kind of a uh, part of that was starting this podcast and talking to a, a whole host of different people um and then kind of arriving where I am today which ironically I miss a lot of the certainty I used to have because it was comfortable but that certainty is gone. I can't, I've been woken up from the matrix, I guess. So it's like, I'm, I, I do sometimes feel like a ship tossed about the waves, but you know, here I am and I'm trying to just figure things out. Um, but for you, so growing up Catholic, which everybody in Louisiana did apparently, right, right. what did you like believe about God prior to 21 or 18? Uh, well, I probably didn't. Okay. Uh, so it was just, it was just all crap. It was just full. Yeah. It was just full. Like this is redonkulous. And I don't, I don't, uh, you know, a lot of it, I think when I look back as like rebellion and I want to be careful because, you know, I have, I have Catholic friends, I have Catholic family and, you know, I love you guys and I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think poorly of y'all in any way, you know, I, I'm, you're my brother and sister in Christ for sure. But I, um, I think that a lot of, I think I was so ingrained, I was in it so much and so deeply that when I went, when I got my own life apart from my parents, I just never went back, you know, I never went back until I was uh, probably like 28. <laughs> And uh, not that I went back to the Catholic church, but I, I dove back into the, the dogma to try to figure oh, out Catholicism. It. Yeah. Well, okay. because I went through, so I, I became a Christian when I was 21 and I, I was definitely a fair weather fan of God, so to speak. I, and how, how did you become a Christian? Well, I was actually, uh, we were touring and uh, up and down the East coast. And we met up, we had met this band online from California and they and were called Chris was in PFAL, right? Planning policy. Chris was in PFAL and I was not saved and we were wild and crazy. And we were just, I was, and this was figuring things out and uh, you know, no big deal, but you know, Chris went on to be in as cities burn. So ipso facto, yeah. Jesse was basically in as cities burn. <laughs> Yeah, put that you put that on the uh, the list of things I've done, I guess. I'll put it on your Wikipedia. There you go, my Wikipedia. That's what I was looking for. Uh, so yeah, so we we 
we had this met up with this band back then it was kind of like i don't know what it's like now because i'm old and i don't understand how that works nowadays me neither but back then we barely had we barely had myspace and uh but we met on myspace and they were gonna do an east coast tour and they wanted us to come with them so we went with them long story short what band it was called a billion ernie's why does that a billion why does that sound familiar get this it was a hardcore ska band okay (laughs) but they were fantastic i mean they were yeah great great dudes and great great chicks women uh there there was a girl in the band and her name was starsha and she is a cool name yeah and she's cool too and uh just a super hippie from california uh but yeah, so there's, I don't know, you want, you want the full story or just a short version? I don't know. I mean, you tell me. So uh, we're touring with them and I think that I've always had, it's hard for me to tell when I was saved because I definitely had a revelation of Jesus, but at some point in my older years, but when I was a kid, I, I always did feel close to God and I always felt that he was present and that he was real. Even when I was in rebellion, I just, I just had a real relaxed version of who he was in my mind. But um, anyway, so I, I was reading a lot and um, we stopped at this Taco Bell in, and they, oh, by the way, they were all Christians. Okay. So these, okay. These kids, there's like 12 of them in the band, of course, because it's Scott. Of course. And they're all Christians and they're like praying together and they're, you know, like I said, listening to cool music, talking about art and they're just, they're just fun. Like they're not like the uptight kind of christian that i thought was the only type of christian back then right because christianity like evangelicalism to to me at that point was like they're a bunch of freaks like they're a bunch of weirdos you know and uh that was just the way that i saw it but but these people were different and i remember we stopped at a taco bell or eating eating there and this guy comes in and he's like a middle-aged overweight guy and not that that's relevant but i'm just describing him but i got i got you paint the picture He's wearing these dark sunglasses. He looks like one of the Blues Brothers. And he comes to our table and he's like, you guys in a band? And we're like, yeah. He's like, I saw your van out there. He's like, I'm going to Nashville to record my album, man. He's like, you guys should come check out my stuff uh, in his van. And I'm like, this guy, a little pedophile. So I got some candy in there, too. Yeah. So we eat. And of course, Chris Lott, if you know Chris Lott, Chris Lott's like all over that. He's like, I'm going to check this. Dude out. <laughs> so he goes outside. Uh, I finish eating. I go out there and they're like standing around in a circle. And they're talking to him and he, he actually does have music equipment and he ended up being pretty cool. And that man he, Post Malone. Yeah. And now he's Post Malone. <laughs> Yeah, so he has this book, uh, and uh, this is in no way to uh, to name drop the book or anything, but it was a book called Breaking Free by Beth Moore. Um, and he, before we left, he, he he tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, hey, you should read this. And he gave me that book, and I, I started, I don't know why, um, but I started reading it. And then Starsha saw that I was reading it, and she was like, hey, um, do you know what these scriptures are that are in this book? Cause we had hung out a lot. We kind of had a connection, not like, uh, it was yeah. very platonic. Yeah. 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 We're still friends to this day. She's actually coming to visit me in September. I think she might move here actually. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause California is just, she's like, I can't live here anymore. <laughs> so, uh, 
so where was that? Oh, she's re- reading the book scriptures. Yeah, so she so she starts looking at these scriptures that I'm reading, and she's like, "Do you know where? Do you know what these are?" So she goes and gets her her Bible and starts reading me these scriptures, and like, uh, you know, and and so I'll skip that all that, but it, the thing that happened was just like a revelation. Like I think I, I went to bed one night, and I vividly remember it. We were in Pennsylvania, and I was sleeping in a park on the ground, as we did a lot, a free place to stay. And, uh, I just, I, I had this moment, you know, reading this stuff that I didn't really understand, but I, I knew that, uh, I wanted whatever it was, you know, I wanted to understand. Did you have like a vision or no, like, it a, no, it wasn't anything a like feeling. Yeah, it was probably a feeling. I, I don't, it wasn't anything like, you know, crazy. It was just like, Hey, you know, there's gotta be something more to life than what I'm experiencing. And I've heard that there's life in this, in these words. And I've heard that there's life in Jesus Christ. And, um, and I want that. And I just felt the desire to start digging into it. And I think the next day I woke up and I honestly felt like a different person and things started to change. Now it was slow. I don't, I don't, I wasn't, I didn't like wake up and start, you know, adopting children from other countries and, you know, or anything like that. But, um, it was, it was a slow progress and I, I struggled a lot because I, it was hard for me to get out of a lot of, you know, the, the, a lot of the things that I was doing, you know, because one of the big things for, from Christianity was to me, to me was that uh, it always seemed like if I'm going to be a Christian, then I have to stop doing, you know, A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that now I look back on it, you know, I think that we're changed from the inside out and our desires change along with us. And I don't, I don't think that that should be a concern for someone who was in my state where I needed to do this and I needed to do that in order to prove myself, but that Jesus already proved himself. And I just needed to cling to the truth of what his words were. And so that's, that's kind of like what happened. Well, in the, in it, in a it, nutshell. yeah. And it brought up, an interesting question. So, cause you, you said, I don't know if that's when I got saved. And that was one of the things that, and you know, that was always my concern. Am I saved? Am I not saved? And, you know, I grew up, you have to say the magic incantation and then you're good. You're good to go. As long as you said the magic words, right? Yeah. How, how do you think, I mean, the, the, how do you think salvation works? I realize that's kind of a, a super broad question, but it's like, because that has, that messed me up quite a few times because I would have, I got caught in the, because I was, I was doing, I mean, it was all mainly like drug and sex related, but I, I grew up a youth group kid. So I would go into this cycle of intense sinning, quote unquote, which now I look back, it's like a lot of unnecessary guilt. Uh, And then I would go into the repentance and beg God for forgiveness phase. And then I would kind of wake up and feel that that weight lifted uh, until I fell back into it. And then I go back into that phase. And so and I've seen it happen a lot, too, because I you know, I went to some faith-based um, drug treatment centers and you would have these people with these hugely emotional salvation experiences 
only for them to just kind of fall on their face because it's like there's a lot of expectation and the people that would come and speak, um, which it I will admit, yeah, I mean, it does seem to happen that people have these white light experiences and they just completely about face and they completely stop everything that they were doing wrong, air quotes, and now they're doing something different. That is very few and far between in my experience. But, you know, we would see that modeled and then be like, well, what, what the heck? So it's like, I wonder, is it, I wonder if like God even, I wonder if, if a point of salvation is, is completely missing the point. Like, what if it's just an, an entire life that like you are, it's just a lifetime of sanctification or whatever. I don't know. What do you think about yeah, well, I mean, just to speak into like, you know, the point of your salvation, you know, a lot of people I've, I've talked to a lot of people who say they don't remember, like they, they were a child, they don't remember this. This is why I say, you know, it wasn't some extravagant thing. I'm not trying to like play it up as like this amazing thing happened to me and I want it to happen to you now. And then, and then you feel like, well, nothing amazing happened to me. And, you know, now we're putting this law on each other where we're like, this has to happen. It has to, this has to happen and it has to be amazing. Otherwise it's not true and i think that that is one of the mistakes that we've made with the the christian message uh the gospel over the years a lot of churches you know and um but i think that you know when we look at it i think we have to look at it like this i think we have to say you know yes for me there was a moment where i was an adult and i experienced something and it it saved me but for someone else you know if you're saved as a child you know, I look at that and I'm envious of that because I, I did a lot of things that I'm not proud of. I did a lot of things that bother me still today, you know? And so there's the grass is greener on both sides. It's, it's like, if I say I had this amazing experience and you say, well, I don't remember my experience. I, you can say that, you know, I'm old enough to remember it and I can say I'm glad you're, you can be glad that you're not old enough to have remembered it. <laughs> right. You know, bad things. I, if I'm saying that properly, but um, you know, so, so for the one who was saved as a young child and maybe thinks, well, you know, I don't have this extravagant, I didn't have this revelation where I woke up and I experienced Christ and all these things. Well, I envy that because you didn't, you don't have a track record that you had to deal with, you know? you uh you, it just happened for you which is amazing and it's amazing either way it's not something that you know i think that we should we should boast about our experience but boast in what god has done for all of us mm. so move so how so i guess from what was kind of the adult journey from like what you initially believed or i'm curious you might have kind of even started on some right theology but like what are some things that have changed for you yeah well i said that you know in my late 20s i dove back into the catholicism stuff um, i had a lot of anxiety about faith because for a long, for many years, I spent just kind of like, oh, this is easy. Like, this is great. This is real simple. And I don't have to, you know, 
work for anything. I don't have to follow these sacraments or sacrificial laws anymore that I was under as a child. Like I don't have to. This being um, Christianity as opposed or um, like non-denom Protestant versus Catholicism, you mean, or just faith in general? Well, and, and I say that is like, I was a baby Christian. Like I didn't understand a lot of, a lot of that, you know? So it's not, it's not that I had this full understanding of my faith growing up. Um, but, but I, but I had to dive back into it to make sure that I wasn't going to, I wasn't, I wasn't going to the wrong church or I wasn't, I had a lot of anxiety. Like I'm going to the wrong church. My faith is based in the wrong things. Um, you know, and so that created a, a whole tension in my life where I was, I was struggling back and forth. So I did have to dive back into that. Self-imposed? Actually, yes. It's very like what, oh, okay. So nobody was like whispering no. that in your ear. That was all just you. No, I just, I love theology and I love to read about it. I love to listen to sermons. I love, uh, I just love anything that has to do with this stuff because I feel like it's the essence of who we are and, um, it, it gives me an explanation for a lot of the, the ways that I behave, a lot of the things that I do good and bad. I mean, uh, you know, I tell my wife all the time, like I, I'm constantly studying and reading and I'm like, and I get frustrated with certain things. And I tell my wife, I'm like, why, why do I do this to myself? Like, why don't I just join a softball team? Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, yes. That's, that's me too. It's be, because it's one of those things where the more I chase answers, the more I'm left with questions and new questions and convictions and like, oh, well, like, you know, I'll listen to a bunch of Francis Chan and be like, wow, I'm not doing anything like that. And it's like, I feel bad or yeah, or just it's just confused. That's what I was talking about with like the and I yeah, I think you nailed it with baby Christian. It's like there was some there was some super simplicity and certainty back then where it was just like, I just, you know, I am just, I'm good. I'm going to heaven. Everything's groovy. Everything's great. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, it actually drove me to, uh, it drove me to Calvinism for Mm -hmm. about five years. I spent studying Calvinism, go diving into that. And, um, and then, you know, of course there was a couple of like deconstruction phases I went through before that, because I was frustrated with like the, you know, at first I was in this real, you know, reading, uh, blue, like jazz and, and that stuff. And like, it's all love, 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 and it's easy and it's all good and everything's groovy and and we don't have any problems. And then I was like, well, that only lasts so long because there are issues. There are problems that I have. There are things I struggle with. There, there is this thing called sin that I'm dealing with and I have to figure out, like what, how Paul dealt with it and what he's trying to tell me through these scriptures that are difficult to understand. And so I think the, how about Rob? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Rob Bell is, I mean, that's, that's a great example. It's like, uh, what was the book that he wrote? That was big. Uh, uh, Velvet Elvis. Velvet Elvis. Yeah, man. I had that. I read that book probably four times. Um, and you, and you like, cause I grew So I guess, and you loved it, I'm assuming. At the time, yeah, I did. Because I, I grew up watching his Numa videos, if you've ever even heard of that. he Because he used to be like very, like they would show them at our Presbyterian youth group. Okay, so when he, I can't even remember what the first thing, oh, what was the first thing that he really pissed off 
was it hell? Uh, there was something he he flipped on that everyone was like, "Oh my gosh, you're a heretic." Was it just that hell? I think it was. It's, it's which seems it's. Well, it was, it was, I remember what it was. It was um, it was hell, but it was it was um, universalism. Universalism. Yeah, that's it. Everyone eventually, like all lead, all paths lead to heaven. I think that that, that was it. Which. Which sounds like saying that now, it's like, wow, he really did get burned at the stake just for that. Like, right. Yeah. And, you know, as far as the universalism thing, like I, I went strongly against that at one time. And then uh, I'm not a universalist, by the way, but uh, there's another guy. I can't remember. uh, Paul, the guy wrote the shack. Um, His first name's Paul. He actually came to Grace Life uh, and did like a, thing but uh you know his his idea of universalism is totally different from what i would call heretical uh and i'm not sure that i'm 100 percent on board but because i don't know everything you know i'm i'm flawed as well but and i'm still learning a lot but you know his idea was like that god that jesus died for the whole world which i believe and that 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 gift of salvation is available to every single person. And that's all he was saying, but it got wrapped up in the universalism camp and people took it and ran with it. And I think he got a bad rap uh, just for having a little bit different opinion. And I think that that's insane. Like I think it's super insane. It's crazy. Now, like I said, I'm not a universalist. I don't think that scripture points to universalism at all. The actual definition of universalism. What do you Uh, think? What do I think about universalism? No, or where do you are you uh, annihilation? What where do you land uh, on? Well, so I've jumped camps like numerous times. Just sure, yeah. Where are we I, at today? Yeah, I read somebody who's influential, and I'm like, oh yeah, this makes sense. Actually, uh, the Preston Sprinkle has a great book yep. called Erase, "Erasing Hell." Yep. Yeah, that's a great one, man. I think I'm I think I'm on board with that. I I, I like the uh I think that scripture does lend to that, but there are some discrepancies. There's like I'm two there add anything to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's that's pretty and it's funny. Uh I had Preston on too actually a long time ago. Really? That's cool. Um Yes, he was wildly influential on like my recent beliefs. Um, yes, and I think he was one that I was like, oh yeah, annihilation totally makes sense. Uh, but there are there's like two there's a two or three verses that are kind of unnerving that kind of are like, ooh, there might be something bad, but but nothing. I, I I'm completely completely done with eternal conscious torment for sure i just don't believe that's like supported at all really yeah i mean i think that the the best uh retort to that is probably when he talks about the the way that the jews would have described that and that they would have never had that idea of this this burning, this conscient, this conscious, I'm sorry, this uh, constant burning in a, in a physical place. Like I I just, so uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really have a whole lot to add to that, but I mean, it is very interesting. I I haven't really spent a whole lot of time there just because uh, selfishly I'm like, Hey, I don't have to worry about that. Right, (laughs) right, 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 right. Well, okay. So you went from 
where'd you go after Calvinism and what got you away from Calvinism? Oh, oh, man. So I spent five years Calvinism. And I think that Calvinism was, was, uh, attractive to me because of my upbringing. I, I think that I came out of a very strict, um, very, um, what's the word like reverent, very reverent place of Catholicism into a world where I was listening to a lot of, uh, evangelical hippies, if you will, and just all the freedom talk and all the, and just no rules. And you can, God is whatever you want it to be. And a lot of the, a lot of the influential music that was going on and some of the lyrics that really didn't jive with what scripture says. And it was just like, no holds bar, like everything is on the table. Right. And uh, so that pushed me back. I think when I found Calvinism, although from a scriptural standpoint, it was attractive also from a very, um, very like God honoring and very, uh, it was attractive because it, it had like this almost like a pious God honoring God. It's all about God's glory. It's not about me. And so it, it drove me into Catholicism. I mean, to uh, Calvinism, because I was like, this is it. Like, this is the way that I think, and I bounced between like Presbyterian, mm-hmm. Baptist, uh, Southern Baptist, like just all the different places. But um, I think uh, I left my church for probably three or four years and took my family elsewhere, learned a bunch of stuff and never really felt at home anywhere. And I, I actually didn't like the, and, and this is not all of them, but, you know, some of those churches, the staunch, like real hard fire and brimstone and that God is, uh, has this righteous judgment and uh, just a lot of condemnation. And mm-hmm. I felt that a lot. And so I never felt comfortable. And then I, I ended up, you know, me and my wife ended up making the decision to go back to Grace Life. Um, Was that the church you left? Yeah, that was a church I left. Yeah. Mm. From from when I was saved at 21, I went started going to Grace Life and just never they left. They did they did brimstone there? Grace Life? Yeah. Oh no, no, I'm sorry. No. <laughs> that was the Calvinist, the Calvinist churches that I was oh uh, what like yeah. which one did which one were you going to for a long time that you left? Uh can I not say? Oh, sure. Sure. I mean, I, I just just no, that's just fine. Before. That's fine. Yeah. Uh, and and there it, it was Hillsong for sure. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was yeah Bethel, elevation, uh, <laughs> but nothing against them either. Nah, I know. Uh, but yeah, so we ended up going back to Grace Life, and because we just never felt like we belonged, and the theology was good, but I felt like there was something missing, and I and I think that what was missing was God's love. Um, and to say you know for everyone who's a a Calvinist, like, I love your uh, intellectual side. I love the theology. I love talking about that stuff. But God's love is just so much bigger than I think that we can comprehend. And um, to say that some are in and some are out before they had a choice or before the foundation of the world, I just don't, I can't see that as God's yeah. love anymore. I, I, I had a really hard time with that. I tried to make sense of it, you know, scripturally, theologically. And I think that the church is missing that. I think they're missing out on the fact that like God is love and for a loving father, 
you know, as a Calvinist, I had to, I had to sit back and say, what I'm, what I'm saying is that God loved me and all the other ones he didn't. And I'm like, I don't know that I can continue to, to go with that. I, I couldn't get past God being essentially the author of evil. Like I, I get, or I can, I can read the, the intellect, the logical explanations for why he would not be in the Calvinist framework, but it was like, but I don't, yeah. for, I couldn't, I was like, it still kind of seems like, yeah, it, it's hard. That was, that one was, I was like, I don't know about that. And yes, the, the whole, some people just don't get a choice. Didn't I, I, mean, I hear the arguments for it. I, I, I hear you, but I, it, but it, yes, it's hard to reconcile that with a loving God. Yeah. I'm sure that, you know, there may, there may be a Calvinist who's, who listens and says you're wrong, but um, I know I was that Calvinist at one time too. So, uh, but I, you know, in Romans nine, we look at like scriptures that say, you know, that, people were chosen that there was a, there was a people were chosen before the foundation of the world and they didn't have a choice, but we also at the end of nine and in 10, you see Paul pray that they would be, that they would be changed. And so why is he praying for people that God didn't choose? And then he also has a sacrificial statement in there where he says, I would have myself cut off from this promise in order for my brothers to be saved. And I'm like, is the Calvinist saying that? Is the Calvinist saying that they would be cut off for those who were reprobate? And for me, I just, when I, when I heard that language, someone told me that and showed me Romans 9 a different way. I was like, well, that just blew down the freaking walls of Jericho for me. Yeah. Like, if Paul didn't believe in limited atonement, then what am I doing? You know? And so, but that did start a whole new um, a, new, a whole new struggle with open theism, you know, because yeah, that's the current struggle I'm dealing right. with. Yeah. What's your, because uh, my, mine, I, I so hung like a linchpin to like my faith in life was that everything I've gone through is for a reason uh, that everything I'm going to go through is God ordained that like, I'm going to be, you know, good or bad. It was like planned that everything. And so open theism, I do. When I first heard open theism, I, I, that one I thought was like straight heresy. When I first heard it, I was like, that's re- God can't like, what are you, what are you saying? You're taking uh, away his very nature. Absolutely. Right? And then Greg Boyd, so. Greg Boyd and my buddy, Josh Patterson, uh i was like wait wait side note so josh patterson is that the guy you had on like maybe two or three episodes ago yep ex-pastor beer brewer yep yep i listened to that episode he i I want to talk to him i can hook you up with him he he would love to have beers with him yeah dude he he would love that i've had him on a bunch of times he's like this is the only thing i'll say is like he's it sounded like he was concerned that He's not a pastor anymore, but it sounds like he's brewing beer as a pastor. And that's the way I read it. And I'm like, this guy just needs to know that like a church doesn't make you a pastor. I will tell him that he will be thrilled to hear that. But if you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, I don't think a church makes you a pastor. I don't know. I just wanted to, I just was listening to that and I, my heart went out to him because I'm like, I, I struggle with the same, like I'm, 
I'm not in a pastoral role, but I am a worship leader. So I'm kind of a worship pastor. And if you want to call it that, but like wherever I go, um, I'm still that guy. I'm still the one who carries the, the gospel like within me. And yeah, anyway, anyway, I just wanted to like, yeah, to reach through the freaking speaker and be like, dude, you're still a pastor. I, I can, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hook y'all up for sure. Yeah, that would be cool. So, so what, so what was your, uh, open theism struggle? Uh, yeah. So I, I mean, most of it came from Calvinism, just the sovereignty of God, just everything is God is sovereign over this God is sovereign over that. Um, but you know, I think that the, the way out of that is to say, you know, somebody asked me the question, is God sovereign enough to let go? Is there sovereignty? Ooh, is there that's so a great question? Because, you know, God is a father for a reason. And God, that picture of parenthood is, is ingrained in all of us. Like we understand that from a, just a natural depth, you know, and for him to be a father, like, you know, I have children and I am sovereign over where they go and what they do, but I let go even though I'm still sovereign. And I think that God does the same thing. I think that he is sovereign and we see that we may look at that and say it's weakness, but it's not, it's not weakness. It's, it's God's sovereignty. And like, why do we define it as like this one thing? Maybe it's, maybe it's bigger than we can understand. Maybe it's more than what we understand, you know, and most likely it is, but I think that God is sovereign enough to let go. And it, it is. And cause I was about, I was about to ask something about prayer and then it, it read on that. That's what blew my mind about it is because I was, my question for open theism was like, well, then what does that say about like, you know, things I pray for or whatever. And then someone was like, if, if there isn't, open theism then like why would you pray for certain things if it's already because i had always heard that prayer is like uh, in alignment of the will or where you're you're kind of like you know um basically yeah. kind of mental gymnastics for justifying why you would pray for something that is already predetermined but yeah with open theism, it actually puts like a lot more power into prayer, which I was going to kind of ask, um, how do you, what does your prayer life consist of? Well, I mean, I don't see prayer as like a, I mean, I do see prayer as a, like a momentary coming together and saying a few words. Um, but I mean, my prayer life is constant. I mean, I don't know about yeah. you or, or the listeners, but like being a Christian, I'm always asking God why this. I'm always asking God why that. I'm always, what am the I going to do? Running now? dialogue. The running dialogue, man. And and what it does is it like I think the power of prayer is just creates intimacy with the Jesus that already lives inside of you. You know, you already have all of them. Scripture tells you that you're not going to get any closer to God. You know, Ephesians two six says that you've Oof. been uh what i needed to hear that and that, yeah. that's something that slipped by me yeah i mean you're not going to get any closer like uh i think it's uh you know positionally scripture tells us that we're seated at the right hand of the father so how does that work right 
Like, how does that work? And I think that scripture lends to us being two, like in two dimensions at one time. I know that sounds crazy, but I, I mean, you see things like, uh, like you've been crucified with Christ. Well, how are you crucified with Christ? Well, he was crucified 2000 years ago. So did you go back in the past? Uh, I think, right. I think, spiritually, yeah. I think spiritually you may have, I think you may have traveled back there and were crucified and then back here. And then it says after you've been crucified that you've been seated at the right hand of the father. So Jesus is at the right hand of the father. It also says that Jesus lives in you. So he's in you, you're in him, you're at the right hand of the father, but you're also here on earth. Mm, that, that brings up another, this is a question that I want to do a whole episode on because this has been my newest thing. So why do you think Christ died or had to die? Why? Oh, uh, for sin. Well, right. But like, so by that, I mean, you've heard the thing. So how does it make sense that God sent himself to kill himself in order to save us from himself? Yeah. So I think that we put, we put that on the scripture. Like okay. we, we put this idea that like God and Jesus are at opposite ends and they're fighting for us. Right. But they're, I mean, they're on the same team, you know, Jesus is God. Jesus is God incarnate. And I just don't think that that, that dichotomy like exists. Well, like, rather, rather like, so like the different atonement theories, right. Where you have like the penal substitution where it's like the only way humans were able to be saved is for Jesus to die on the cross. Yeah. From your sin. And so that's what, that's what you believe. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, there's a whole lot to it, but it, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm no, uh, I'm no theologian, but I, I think that uh, sin and what we see in scripture is sin is present. Uh, there was like Romans one, you see, there's all, there's all types of sin and people are falling short of the glory of God, but then, uh, you know, God gives the law and the law points out sin Jesus dies and it says that Jesus was the end of the law. So the law ends and now we have been brought to newness of life in Christ. So now we walk in freedom from the power of sin. Yes. So that I agree. I guess what I'm, I'm maybe I'm not understanding your question. <laughs> no, no, no. Like I'm trying to, it's like the, the mechanism of, of like why it had to happen. Like, why it had to happen that specific way, I guess. Oh, and and oh, okay, I got you. You know yeah. what I'm saying? It's like it's like it's like the the argument against is like. So you mean to tell me that without that specific thing, God couldn't have like why couldn't Jesus just forgive the sins? Right, like God could just snap his fingers and it's right, like, yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's a. I think that God's an artist, and I think that uh, he he painted this beautiful picture of how much he loves us. And I think it go, mm. all goes. I think it all goes back to the love argument. I mean, God is love, and His redemption through His Son's sacrifice is the ultimate love. And also, you know, that's true. Jesus he's he's walked in our shoes. He's you know, Scripture tells us that he's. 
he's experienced death on this earth and we walk and we experience death every day in different areas. And so for, for him to make the sacrifice for us to be able to walk free of those things, I think that there's no greater love, just like scripture says. Mm. So it's literally, that, God, yeah, it's literally God sacrificing himself for humanity. It, it says a lot about his character, but also what a great possession we are. And, and then, I, yeah, I guess it has a multi, multi, multi faceted meaning. And then it also kind of points to what humans do to perfect love. It's like we kill, you we know, it's everything. <laughs> we destroy everything. And it's, it's, it's like, yeah. But that also points back to God's unconditional love, man. I mean, there is no greater love than that. And, you know, this is, this is why I have issues with, uh, with a lot of theology nowadays, because I'm like, this is, I start with God's love and I work my way up from there. <laughs> yes. Which is not, yeah, there's a lot, especially now it's, it's very, very unfortunate that the word Christian has once again, uh, become associated with hate, which is like, Ooh, sure. Yeah. That is uh, quite the opposite of what it should be. Um, and I mean, I, you know, that's, you know, in, in our particular social climate currently, that's, that's the association, of course. Um, there are plenty of, of good examples of love, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, I mean as far as like the, as far as like love and the argument of like, I just, I just want to, I just want to harp on Calvinism now because I'm just thinking about all this. Like now that you're bringing it up again, it's been a couple of years since I've talked to somebody about it, but uh, you know, if, if love requires a choice, then how could we say that we, that some have no choice? Because like for me and my wife, like we choose to love each other and we're, we live in the freedom to choose not to. Mm. that that tension between me and my wife choosing each other every single day is the greatest form of love because it's an intentional love but it also requires a lot of work and patience and like kindness and all the fruits of the spirit that you hear about goodness and you know what yeah. i'm saying so like without if if we say that god chose some and not others then and then god tells us that he is love and and if love requires a choice, then I can't, I can't jive with those who don't have a choice. So everyone yeah. has to have a choice. Yeah. And, and, it, and it, it also, it also, it, it kind of does turn us back into uh, robots. If the ones that he did choose, I mean, it's the, the inescapable love of God where it's like, no, you're, you're mine without, without whether you want to be or not and so it's kind of like isn't that wasn't that kind of the whole point yeah it goes back to the whole is there free will in calvinism and can you have love can you have choice without free will and not really not not really yeah that's interesting there are there are some questions well i want to so to to wrap this, this is what I, I ask most everybody. How do you experience 
God, day to day. Day to day. I mean, I just, I just, I just do. Oh, sorry, my alarm's going off. Oh, you're fine. Got to take out the trash, man. <laughs> there, uh, there's that. Uh, there are those fruits in action. Right, right. My wife will be mad if I don't take the trash out. Um, experiencing God day to day. I mean, I think that, um, you know, everybody's walk is a little different, but for me, I just, I feel like, I mean, I know we talked about briefly about, uh, like not feeling close, right. Not feeling like God is there or having those moments where we feel like he's absent, right. Or that we're not, we're not performing or something like that. And uh, I don't want to call it like a performance, but I, I mean, I'm intentional about my time and like my studying and understanding more and more about who I am, who he is, how he's created me. But it's also just, uh, it's just being me. I mean, I think that we get this idea from Western evangelicalism that we have to get up and do something for God every day. And I don't think that that's what scripture says. I think that scripture says that we are new creation and that we desire good things. You know, we don't, we don't wake up and desire to sin. We do sin, but how many times have you sinned and you, you enjoyed it? Like, mm. I feel like for me, if I do sin, I'm like, afterwards, I'm like, I shouldn't have done that. I, I, and then I dwell on it. And then I have, you know, and this is why we have this relationship with Jesus. So my day-to-day is just this constant, um, what, like what first John would call abiding. And the abiding is like the, the Hebrew word for abiding is just like a, a resting and a, a, it's a physical, it's basically being okay. I feel like is the best explanation. And to understand this abiding that John's talking about, like we should abide. I think that the, the church says abiding is like this work. Like we have to constantly abide. But when you look at the Hebrew, the words are like continue and the words are dwell and remain. So like you're in Christ, you know, like Galatians says that you, you've been placed in him or Ephesians, you've been placed in him, you've been made alive. So if I've been made alive and I'm placed in him, then I'm okay. And I'm, I'm abiding. Then everything I do is in Christ and it's, it's okay. And like, that is good enough. And it's that you don't want, like, I don't want to get into that rat race where like, I feel like I have to be doing something all the time because I feel like the work is exhausting. And then you get to a point where you don't feel a certain way and you've been working a lot and then you, you break down, you know? And I feel like that's a lot of where like these pastors that fall, uh, that have like a moral failure, they, they get to a point where they have to uphold this thing for so long that eventually it's going to break down. Because you're putting yourself back under the law that Christ died for and, you know, that he fulfilled. So every day walking in Christ is just being who you are. Like, like, so like, here's a question. Um, like, what does it feel like for you to be in Christ? Dude, everything you said is what, I, I, like I just rambled a bunch of stuff. <laughs> no, that that's that's 
when I somewhere heard, in there it's my heart like somewhere in there is no, no 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 that that I I I I I feel and I think that like what you said is true and right and that is the the single biggest thing that I struggle with and I've had to consciously try to think myself into that that's really what I've been trying to do because it's just it's so hard for me I don't know I don't know how I don't know how to just be in Christ like I mean I I I I do up here yeah so tell me like what does it feel like when you feel close to God It's, I don't know. It's been, I guess, maybe. Like, have you ever asked yourself? Because it's a difficult question. It's a really I, hard question, man. But no, I don't, I don't think we ask ourselves that. Like, what does Let's it Listen, for? man, I'm asking the questions here. <laughs> no. Uh, so. Well, I've been listening to you ask this question. I, I know, I know. I'm, podcasts, and I'm like. I'm, all right, all right. I'm, I'm thinking. So, I, I guess it's what I have in my mind, like where, what I'm trying to get to is a, a peace and a contentment and a, a resting. I mean, really where it's, it's just like, I can remember days of just, um, I mean, I guess what I'm going to do now is I'm going to describe like what that looks like. And, and I mean, what it feels like where it's just, I would, um, prayerfully like bring God into situations into like, this is like on in like a 24 hour period. Like if I'm about to have uh, a talk with someone like, you know, bringing God into that first, bringing God into the room during things. And it's like, I would in return, it's like when I would notice, um, you know, you kind of get that your hair stands up where you just, you're just like, Oh, this is like a God thing just happened. Um, I don't, it's really like an ineffable feeling, I guess. It's just like a feeling of being in tune and, um, and feeling a closeness. And it's like, I didn't have to work for it, I guess. And, and so I guess, you know, I can also say, do you feel like you should work for it? I guess I do. It's because, all right, so this is, I'm going to say the the things I guess I'm doing now that make me not feel that way of, um, feel like getting, you know, angry about people, angry, sad, depressed. gossiping, sad, depressed, uh, yeah, really, yeah, looking at my phone too much, but it's like immediately after all those things. And some of these things, man, are normal. They're normal. But I, dude, I still, I did it this morning and I laughed and I, this, I start every prayer because, you know, I pray throughout the day, but then I, I do like a uh, morning and night um, on my knees and I start each prayer with forgive me. All right. And this morning I said, forgive me. And I, I laughed and I said, oh, forgive me for that. And I was like, wait, no, I literally that I did those like two forgive me's in once. And it's like what I meant to say was like, I know I don't need to be asking for that, but it, it is built in, dude. It is ingrained that I'm always doing something wrong or that if I don't 
happen. And, and the, the truth is that I probably think about God more than most, not in a bragging, any kind of sort of way, but probably because it's like this, because I, and it's like, dude, I do at my, at my core, I want to please him. Like I want to, that's all. But what if you do? Do you think you'd feel it? I don't know. I, I guess I think that I, I guess I think I would. Yeah. I think this is Western evangelicalism. I think that this is the product of, of, of churches teaching us that, you know, we watch these or we see these people in church and we watch, like for me, it's watching these worship videos online, right? Like I, I lead worship every Sunday at my church. I want people to explode into worship like every Sunday. But when I watch these videos online, I'm like, this is a, this is a, uh, a pinnacle that like, maybe we're never going to get to like, if, if someone I walk, I, I lead worship depressed. Mm. I lead worship sad. I lead worship, uh, in all different types of moods. Like, I mean, for like the, the book I sent you, which I sent you by the way. Oh, nice. It mentions that like, you could be sad. You could be lethargic. You could drink a cup of coffee and you could get a buzz and then you could be, back at it do you think that god's position in you changes it's just our emotions that change and our emotions come from our soul and like our our soul is our mind will and emotions and our our emotions and our soul are being affected by like sin and like the outside presence of sin like those things that are coming at us constantly we're 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 fighting them and we're trying to like make our way through this life and, you know, live as Christ lived. But the thing is, is that Christ was sad and he was depressed. He asked to, for God to his father to take away the burden of the cross from him. Like, and do you think that he was like, scripture tells us that he was filled with all the fullness of God, all the fullness so like the most, this cup's overflowing. <laughs> yeah. But then scripture in the same breath also tells us that like Paul prays that we would be filled with the fullness of Christ, with all the fullness of Christ. So are we to believe that Paul's praying this prayer and he's talking to believers and that the possibility of being fulfilled, like filled with the fullness of Christ is not a thing. So why can't I be filled with the fullness of Christ and be depressed on my worst day? So what should I do then? <laughs> like, how do I, because this is, it's like, I don't, yeah, yeah. I, I know, I know. And I don't look, I don't have all the answers, but you know, I, I de- I've dealt with depression a lot throughout my life and um, like just uncontrollable sadness and anxiety that I don't like, I've had a good life. There's no, I don't have any trauma. Uh, I, I've, I had good parents. I, you know, but I still deal with this stuff. And I'm like, for a long time, I felt I'm, I'm close to God. I feel great. I'm happy. I'm energetic. I'm doing good at work. I'm, I'm loving people. And then like the next day, because of a feeling, because of an emotion, I'm like, where's God? Mm-hmm. But like, if we're going to take scripture seriously and we're going to, we're going to read these words and say like, like David and Abraham, like it, scripture says that their faith never, like Abraham's faith never wavered. Like he slept with his housewoman and made a child outside of God's covenant. And like David never wavered in faith. Like 
Yes, he absolutely did. David dealt with depression. This is why your your Facebook post yeah. hit home for me because I was like, yeah, that's that's something that the church doesn't teach about. They teach that we should be happy and we should be excited and all is good. And no, man, like when people ask me how I'm doing at church, I might say, I feel like shit. Yeah. I feel like shit today. Not doing great. But Christ lives in me. And, you know, Colossians tells us that, you know, it's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So it's it's something about our emotions that's causing us to feel that we're far away, but it's not the truth. And as far as like the condemning thoughts of like us being sinful or us being uh, caught up in a, a sin somewhere, like you read Romans eight and it says that there's that there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if I read that and I say there's no condemnation for me, then where do the condemning thoughts come from? They don't come from God because God yeah. said there's no condemnation. So they can't come from him. So they have to come from the enemy. Otherwise, I guess it would just be me. Yeah. Or a combination or a combination. And, but they're not true. Yeah. And it's, and I think, I, I think that's, that's going to be part of it um, is getting, cause it's, that's, that's just the recent thing I started doing again. I was reading a Psalm and proverb a morning and it's like, okay, I, that is like a, a tangible thing that will probably help is like getting some of that into my mind that I can at least like combat it with. Sure. Yeah. But yeah, yeah I mean, it, like, like first John says, like, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Like it's there, you have it and it's eternal. So it's before time and after time, like you're always in Christ, you, that your position never changes. There's nothing that you're going to do that's going to change that position. So I think that we have to lean into that. If you're asking for a solution, I think my best solution is like, I lean into that. I say, I wake up, if I, see, if I feel like crap, if I feel like, man, I, I wasn't good to my wife, I'm not, you know, I'm not being a good supportive father. Like there's so many things that come at me all day long about, you know, just con condemning thoughts that I know aren't true, but they do bother me and I struggle with them. You know, it's like children, man. Oh my gosh, children. It's like, I'm in charge of other like sacks of meat that <laughs> explode at the moment from a passing vehicle or <laughs> a predator or something, you know, like, yeah, I, I used to have this anxiety that bears were gonna come out of the woods and eat my children. Like I, it's, it's crazy. The thoughts that you have when you're like taking care of another human, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm but, sure. you know, if we're it, like, my point is it just, if we're filled with the fullness of God, then there's no taking away that when you wake, you didn't lose it. It is a, a fact. And I, I think what I would say is we separate fact from feeling. Mm. And that's the walk. That's the, that's the Christian walk every day. It's, Hey, what's the facts and what are my feelings? And we separate those two things. Cause I don't think that they're, always going to be beneficial for our well-being <laughs> yeah no that's good super good well thanks for coming on bro we'll uh we'll have to do this again for sure i definitely wanted to just give a little uh a little introduction uh first yeah man, um, it's great yeah and what uh so conversations with grace is the podcast 
conversations in oh, grace in yeah. grace conversations in grace so yeah. go check that out and uh grace life and then just check out grace life it's a great church yeah great. that is that is very true that would that is a church i wish was around here maybe i'll just come up one sunday it's really not that should, long man. a drive awesome i need a drummer i need another drummer do you i do i just lost one. Oh man we can talk <laughs> we can talk if we'll play once a month yeah, I could do that. Yeah, it's pretty fun. It's pretty yeah, fun. I mean, I I played for my church, but I had to, that'll be the conversation. But I got, I couldn't, uh, I it, it got to be something I couldn't do. It was a, it, it became just seeing the disparity. But, you know, it's like you see how the sausage is made. And especially, you know, I got stuck on like some personalities and like, why are we, why is everybody doing the pretend to be good game and then yeah. you you turn on that special worship voice when you want people to mm-hmm. feel something. But I kind of know what's going on. I guess I'm being judgy, but I don't know, man. It just became like a job and I didn't like how I was being treated. And I just like I couldn't I was getting really resentful and I didn't like being up on stage being pissed off. I didn't no, like I, it. I knew that. I've been many places where it was uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Um, but a once a month gig with you sounds actually really cool that i'm interested in let's talk about that for sure it'd be awesome man all right send me an email church and other drugs at gmail.com patreon.com slash church and other drugs and storefrontier.com
于是。